Um, and have, there been, have there been any non-funk acts that also have risen to nationwide prominence from Dana? There's a another funk museum coming in starting in next month, a month after next. Um, a guy by the name of Jackie Boy, who was with the group Platypus back in the 70s, has a virtual funk museum. I've seen it. It's pretty sharp. It's going to be it's going to be a big hit, and he's going to house it in Dayton. What he has done, Scott, that's kind of unique. He's not only identified black artists that have come from Dayton, he's identified white artists as well. And there are a couple artists that are big name that came out of Dayton, but none as big as the artists from Dayton that are black that I know of. You know, Dayton's done a lot of things, but, you know, when they think of the artists, they think of, you know, the funk coming out of Dayton and, and the artists like the players and Heatway and whatnot. But he's going to introduce a, 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 all the artists that had some prominence in Dayton, Ohio. And it was some of the people that's on on that virtual website surprised me from Dayton. I didn't know about them. You know, so it, it it's going to be a plus and um, hoping that, you know, he wants me to be involved because he remembers that back in the 70s, if you needed to get a record play from one of the black groups, you came to Turk Logan. And that's nice to be remembered because that was my mission. I didn't ask for anything. I never asked for anything but respect and the respect that I'm due for my contribution. And I demand that. And since certain people in Dayton have decided that they don't want to respect that, it's going to be like the Vietnam War. And I'm serious about it, you know. And they don't know it's coming, but it's, it's coming. Because you're not going to take something from me and make it yours make money out of it and just completely ignore me and expect me not to do something about it. So you'll probably read about it, Scott. You're like, oh, Lord, <laughs> I'm glad I got the interview from Turk when I did, you know, because, you know, I'm coming back to take what's mine. Well, I, mean, I sure wish you luck on that project. I mean, I want to see it come to fruition big time. Yeah, um, because it's a good, it, 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 it's a really a project to have, you know, I can say it's a black project, but it has no color. It's not about money. It's about legacy and getting that information out. And, you know, I did not create that for money. I wasn't thinking about, you know, when I was at Dayo, in 1971, I was making. I started off making fifty dollars a week. I went from fifty dollars a week to one hundred and twenty-five dollars a week, and then as I progressed up from the all-night show to middays to afternoon drive, I made a little bit more. Though it wasn't a lot. My max salary at WDAO was seventeen thousand dollars a year, and I made some extra money because I was popular on the weekends. But I had friends in Western Ohio that were handling 30, 40 million dollars, <laughs> you know? And and they had Learjets and Rolls Royces and half a million dollar homes. I wasn't envious because it wasn't mine. 
you know. And I've always said, if it's mine is mine and yours is yours. And we in we enjoyed each other better, fuller because of that situation. There was no no one in there walking me especially with his hand out because you saw a guy that would take Larry Troutman, who was cocky and arrogant, and we know how that ended up, would take twenty thousand dollars and walk into a dealership and throw throw it on the floor. What do you think the guys that the salesmen would do? They would pick it up. You know, but that's how cocky and arrogant he was. I would never do that. That's not my style. So you're yeah, you're right. You know, I'm gonna have to fight with these guys in Dayton. And I can't say I'm gonna win. Dayton is is a very backwards town, still in nineteen in twenty nineteen. You know, we had a tornado in Dayton about a month ago and they didn't even have a siren to go off. You know. And um there was a lot of devastation. Now in Trotwood they had a siren to go off, but in Dayton they didn't. They said that they didn't see a value in it. They had a clan meeting in Dayton. They spent six hundred and fifty thousand dollars for preparation for this clan meeting. They had to give them a permit to have a clan rally, and they had nine clan members show up. Six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh man. Dayton, Ohio. So, you know, if, if I, I, and I'm the last one to tell them how to do their jobs. You know, there's a big federal indictment going down right now that you might have read about with four guys, black guys, and they said it's a culture of corruption, political corruption. That's what the FBI said, a culture of political corruption. But what they don't know is how far back it goes. It goes back 40 years. You know, I ran for state representative in 1984. Ronald Reagan was one of my surrogates. I ran on a Republican ticket. Ronald Reagan came in and stomped for me. You know, because he was running for re-election. His whistle stop tour started in Dayton, Ohio. I have a picture of Ronald Reagan and myself right on my desk that I'm looking at right now. I did 12,000 votes. And only spent a hundred dollars. Got no black, not one black vote. That's all I spent was a hundred dollars. Got the owner of the radio station. It's a funny story. Who fired me in 1983? Sit on the executive committee for the Republican Party and endorsed me. And when he saw me standing next to the president, true story, because he was down on the square. He forgot that John C. Logan Jr. And Turk Logan are the same person. <laughs> so he endorsed John C. Logan. <laughs> so I'm sitting on stage. And he gave me $100 for my campaign. That's all the money I had. So I'm sitting on stage behind the president of the United States. He said, Mr. Logan, what do you think about this campaign? I said, well, Mr. President, I'm the only black that's on the ticket. I'm going to give it 100%. He said, well, what do you think about me? I've been shot already. I said, well, I guess it could always be worse, you know. He had already been shot by Hinckley. And he turned around and we went on with the with the with the program. But, you know, Dayton's had a lot of opportunity to be successful, but there's a faction in Dayton that wants to keep that success to a certain body of people. And long as that's I guess it's that way in any city, you know, the powers that be, the money, whatever may be the case. But Dayton is such a small market. 
that uh, what we did in the 70s just shocked the hell out of everybody. And they never want that to be repeated again. Well, unfortunately, I got to say, you know, it's getting to where you're one of the last guys standing to tell that story, too, because we've lost so many of those artists over the last five, ten years that, you know, we're getting to that critical point where it's we got to get it out there. Well, and, and you're 100 percent right. I am one of the last guys standing. And when the movie producer uh, in Hollywood did a review of the script and the two of us talked, he described it in writing that I have an encyclopedic memory. Now, that big word might astound some people, but all it means is I can remember things all the way back to four years old, and I'm pretty vivid about things that I remember. So I can, I mean, I could talk somebody through the story without even looking at the movie script. And so, um, but I can't tell you how long that's going to last, you know, because, you know, age changes things. And so you're right. Any, any, any help or anybody that would be interested in looking at this, taking uh, an interest in it, both financially um, and a genuine interest, we got it. We should get it out there because it's a story that definitely needs to be told. And, um, and it's a story that will be enjoyed because it's about the music, you know, it's about the music. Everybody would enjoy the 25, seven share of the market spoke for itself of, of the general market where we would go into. Is it already a general market story? Look at you. I mean, you, you're a perfect example of it. You know, you love the music as much as I do. So it's not about color, you know, it's about about the music. I will say, though, it amazes me how things have changed. I talk to people about this. When I was going to see those shows, Ohio Players, Parliament in the 70s, I was the only white face I saw. It was yeah. a complete black phenomenon. But nowadays, when you go to those shows, especially like the Parliament Funkadelic shows, mostly white faces. That's my point. It's they've crossed over into the general market, and that's a good thing for what we're talking about now because that's who would. That's the buying market. I mean, let's be honest. That's the buying market. I proved that, and it shocked the hell out of the powers that be. Even the owner of the radio station, you know, his boy said, "You got to get rid of Logan because he's pulling too. His ratings are too high. You know, he's killing us." And that was the owner of the station. And like you say yourself, when you go to these, see the OJs or Earth, Wind and Fire or uh, any of the groups that were big back in the 70s, when you would really start out with them, you would see maybe 5,000. And of the 5,000, 4,900 of them would be black. Now when you go, you're going to see 15,000, 20,000. And 14,000 of them are going to be white. I was talking to the guys out in Vegas. They won't believe that Roger is deceased in Mexico. All they play is the Dayton Funk in Mexico. That's all they play. And this comes from the guys in Vegas. He said, man, when I go to the car shows and to the hip hop shows, all we hear is more bounce to the ounce and slide and slave and and Ohio players fire, you know, so that's the market right there. 
That's another market right there. So there's money to be made if we get it into the right hands that says, hey, you know, I saw your interview. I heard you talking to Scott. You know, I may be interested in investing into this, to looking into it, because the script is already done. It needs to be rewritten because of the age of it, just things that have changed from when I had a copy written in 2000 to 2019. That's 19 years ago. So it needs to be rewritten, but that's not unusual to rewrite it because I'm the one that's going to rewrite it anyway, you know. Yeah. And, you know, things like when Johnny Wilder passed away, you know. Um, and how we're going to have to do a lot of deceased updates, yeah. Yeah, a lot of deceased updates. And, um, you know, not looking to slam anyone, you know. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about is a matter of, record in history anyway, like Larry shooting his brother Roger four times, point blank, and then blowing his brains out. That's a matter of record, you know. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel when I talk about that. I just may, you know, it, it's the way that I talk about it. Do, do, do you have any theories on the Mark Adams thing? Um, yeah. Mark Adams was in the drugs. He probably got a hold of some drugs from some drug boys and didn't pay them, you know. And when you don't have money to pay for drugs, it's a simple philosophy that I tell everybody. When you got money and you're in drugs, you get good drugs. When you don't have money, you're still a junkie. The only difference is you get bad drugs. And if you owe them drug boys money, they will kill you. It's just that simple. And nobody wants to face the reality of it. It's sad that Mark had, you know, sold his royalties and um, sold his what I call selling your soul to the devil. You know, I tell them all, and it's like I told Roger before he went out there with Tupac and Dr. Dre. And Tupac was assassinated, Biggie Smalls was assassinated, and Roger was shot. I said, you know, when you sell your soul to the devil, he will collect. <laughs> you know, you know, he will collect. It's how he collects is what you don't know, what you don't see. So, and I tell them all, and you know, when I went to Central State, I was the general manager from 1987 to 2009. Dedicated in August of 1992, the Camille O. William H. Cosby Center for Mass Communication. Where is Bill Cosby now? Boy, so to so. When you sell your soul, the devil will collect. He didn't have to do what he did. Hell, a boy's a billionaire. A billionaire. That dumbass didn't have to do that stuff. He has his doctorate. He's a, but see, but a lot of people don't realize, and I told his attorneys, I said, you know, and I, and, I, and I did this, I said, you know, I want $5 million, and I can tell you how to keep Cosby out of prison. And they laughed at me. Cosby has a multiple personality disorder. He has several, dis several different personalities. Have you met him? Huh? Have you met Bill Cosby? 2008, I'm in the dressing room with Bill Cosby in Kentucky with a staff member named Tanya. 
we're doing a video of Bill Cosby because we had a thing at Central State called the Cosby Challenge, where we would raise $2 million and he would match it with $2 million. So we wanted to get a video of him. So we traveled to Kentucky to get the video. We get the video. Tanya is a staff member. She's not a student. And he looks at me. He says, Logan, if you're not in the picture, you're not in the frame. Now, remember, this is 2008. And I look at him and say, what is he, what is he talking about now? Because he talks in riddles. And then he said it again. If you're not in the picture, you're not in the frame. And what he meant was to leave the dressing room because he was at a casino and leave her in the dressing room with him. So I packed up the camera gear and uh, I proceeded to walk out and Tanya said, Dr. Logan, I'm with you. And we were together. We, we rode down from Central State to Kentucky together. And we got our rooms in the hotel because we had to spend the night to get the video. And I looked at her and I stupidly said, Tanya, you know that's your meal ticket. And she looked at me with a with a glare in her eyes. She said, no, it's not. And then it came out what he had been doing in um, 2010. But I deal with personalities. You know, when Omarosa hit the airwaves, you thought she was a porn star. And I was sitting in my office listening to her. She had just came out to projects in Youngstown. I'm like, oh my God. I had to get up and go in the studio and say, that's not, that, that, I don't want to hear that on the radio. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear that sensuous, uh, luscious voices. That, that's not, what we, that's not how we do things here. She was a kid. She was a freshman. Um, I developed personalities. Bill Cosby is a businessman. He's a comedian. He's an actor. He's Fat Albert. You know, all those are different personalities. And if a good attorney had gone into a court and says, Dr. Cosby, we have a psychiatrist and he's in the court with us, is being treated for multiple personality disorder. And people do that. They, there have been people who have been treated for that. No judge in America would put Cosby in general population. They would have put him in, in, in a mental institution for treatment. But they laughed at me. So I said, well, fuck him. I don't care. Well, you know, if they, if they won't listen to me, I'm, I'm cool. I mean, I come and go. <laughs> you know, with, with the attorneys he can afford, you think they would have thought of that? Well, you know, I, I th and and plus, I think Central State made a mistake by taking his name off of it, because, and I'll say it publicly, because I don't, even though I'm back on the air, Central State, I don't work for Central State. I work for Logan Communications. Uh, when we dedicated the building in August of 1992, it was named the Camille O. William H. Cosby Center for Mass Communications. All the president had to do, female president of Central State, was take his name off, leave Camille's name on it, the Camille O. Center for Mass Communication, the Camille O. Cosby Center for Mass Communication, and she still might have got that money. Cosby gave Central State $7 million. You know, but that's just my opinion. You know, she took, she went to the board and had his name taken off and that's when she did. And 
I don't know Camille, but I do know Bill Cosby. You know, as a matter of fact, his best friend is in Dayton and a fraternity brother of mine. His name is Josh Colbert. And Josh was whirlwind Turner on that one show when they were running track. Josh is a 1956 bronze medal Olympian, and he won nine um, track championships at Central State when he was a head track coach. He's now living in Dayton with his son, um, who works for Central State. And so I'm going to reach out to his son and tell him, I said, tell dad I want to come by and pick him up and take him to lunch. Josh got to be about 90 years old now. and But he's in pretty good shape because he was always an athlete. So, uh, and that was Bill Cosby's best friend, you know. But the president of Central State who hired me and Bill Cosby um, was the one and the president, the former president is ill and Cosby's in jail. So I just left him. I just left that alone. And, and but I'm going to tell Josh and, and it'll get back to it's a little too late, you know, because he's already in jail. But I'm going to tell Josh uh, when when we get together. And so, and, but I had so much success at Central State. I have one of my students now that is the vice president of BET and the senior vice president of Viacom International. She lives in New York. So my kids have had major success that came with nothing and left with something you know, a little bit of me. And we all still communicate. We all still talk, you know. And you're right, Scott. Time, the clock is ticking. I don't have another 30 years or 20 years or 10 years. I don't have that kind of time. And I know for a fact, if if, if something ever happens to me, the ball is dropped. It's done. Well, I, I mean, I got to tell you, I've always been into the music, but the reason I got into doing this show a few years ago in particular is to make sure that these stories have a legacy, that they're preserved some kind of way, whatever I can do to help preserve those stories through these shows. And um, I think it's just an uphill battle. I feel like funk music has always been pushed off to a corner. I think the yep. industry, I think the industry tried to do it wrong. And I think it continues even when you look at all the omissions of like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of great funk bands from the Commodores, yeah. Cool and the Gang, the War. All these great groups are not even in the Hall of Fame, let alone the Ohio players. So, well, and you're 100% right. When you have generations turn over, and the generation has turned over, what is it, turned over every four, 10 years, has turned over almost five times now. Things change, unfortunately, from the re record industry, the, even the type of music that we play. When I went to Central State to do my radio show Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I put 100 songs on flash drive. And they had a, a CD player in there with a flash drive on it. I stuck it in there, and it was just, it was so easy to do for my computer, load it on, and Things change, and and I understand 
But then history comes back around as it always does, you know. And we want to make sure with, with guys like you, you you don't know how big an asset you are by just doing this. Because, you know, you have taken part of my legacy and recorded it. And, you know, everything, I, I didn't fake the funk. Everything I'm giving you is a true story. You know, every, including the war that's about that that's going on, and you know, and it's unfortunate that the war has to go on in Dayton, Ohio, because the guy that only is a white guy, he's arrogant and cocky, and he thinks he's got support because of of who he is and what he is, and um, and it's a black guy, and then. You know, we speak about David Webb and, and all those shows on YouTube. I did for David Webb. I didn't do them for myself. I didn't get paid to do that. And now I won't give David Webb the time of day. Because David Webb is a collector of archives. And, and, and one way I can break him down, there's a baseball cap in that museum. It says WDAO on it. Doesn't say W D A O F M or A M. It just says W D A O. I saw it on a video that was done. If David was sitting next to you and I asked him in front of you, what does that W D A O stand for? He wouldn't be able to tell you. Now I will tell you. It stands for three acronyms. One is West Dayton, Ohio. The other is we dominate all over. And sad to say, in 1976, when the city of Dayton school had school desegregation and they busted black kids into white, white schools, the black kids came up with white days old. And I had to downplay that. I could not use that. under. And I used it one time. One time I was in London, England in a pub. And a guy walked up to me, true story, and says, can I sketch your picture to take back to America? I still have it. And I said, how much? He said, two pounds, 50. And I said, and in, in American, that was $5. So that was reasonable. And I was sitting at the, it was eight of us, and I was sitting at the far end of the table. I said, you want me to? Move a little closer so you can get the better features because there's another guy, black guy, sitting at the other end. And the tour guide, white female, English, she said, they don't, you don't have to switch seats. They all look alike anyway. So I didn't say anything. So we were continuing the tour, and she looked at me. She said, so that WDAL, what does that stand for? I said, white day's over. <laughs> that's the only time I ever use. That's a true story. That's the only time I ever use it because I don't play racial. Man. I, I just don't appropriately used there. Yeah, I just don't believe in that. You gain nothing out of that, you, you know. So Scott, so Scott, you've been. I, I mean, I, I, just, I just, I just, I just, I hate to interrupt you, but I just want to say for listeners and viewers, you reference David Webb, and I want to make it clear that's a reference to the Funk Center and Museum. That was set up in Dayton. They they pushed for it for a number of years. It finally opened up, and it was only open for a very short time, and now it's closed again. So just to make that clear. Yeah, and and again, I thought personally, me, 
Dr. Turk Logan, that entity had so much promise. And I told David back in 20, oh, I guess it was 2013, 2014, as long as you straight up and above board, I'll be with you. But if I notice anything that is a little shady on my part, I'm out. You know, and I have, and I'm the last person that would badmouth anybody because, you know, I'm the original. I don't, I don't have a need to badmouth anybody. And, and 99% of all those groups in the museum are, are there as a result of something I did, played their music, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I don't have any envy. But when you try to take something that doesn't belong to you and it's evident, then I've got a problem with that. And, and that goes for anybody. You know, that, that goes for, for anybody. So, you know. I, I got I to tell you, I suspected something was a little amiss because when I first found out about that, I was very excited. And I reached out and I wanted to volunteer, not get paid, do whatever I could to help that be a success. And I was told that they basically had what they needed. That was one thing I was like, what? Because I have talents and abilities and history. And sure. um, then I talked to um, James Diamond. And he said he wasn't having anything to do with it. And, yeah. and he was not happy with the way they were going about things. And so I didn't get the particulars. But I knew something, again, was amiss. And so... Well, Jimmy is brilliant at what he does he's been doing it for over 50 years i have the highest esteem and respect for jimmy diamond though some people try to create us as adversaries and we're not i don't play any instruments i just play the music and still playing the music you know so every time i play one of the ohio players records they get royalties if somebody goes and buys it. I don't get anything from that. You know how that works. So that just tries to keep us, keep controversy and, and craziness. But um, Jimmy is right. Something was amiss. Rosalind Wilder, and I'll just share this story with you. I talked to her just last month. She told me, she said, David had taken Johnny's chair that Sony Music had designed for him and put it in the museum without her permission. I said, what did you do? She said, I called him and told him to put the chair back where he got it from because if he didn't, I was calling my lawyer. I said, did he do it? She said, I'm pretty sure he did. And I didn't look into it, but that's been David. David wanted to... We were going to do a radio interview, and well, I, when, when I first met David, it was at a Martin Luther King banquet at a church. David called me, he said, I want to introduce you at this function. I said, yeah, I'll be glad. So I came out, and when I walked in, David said, I want you to introduce me. I'm like, don't nobody know you. And just so happened, I used to live in that whole area, and everybody would know the name Turk Logan anyway in that church. 
So, I, you know, I said what I had to say, and then I introduced him. That sent up the first red flag, but it wasn't it wasn't a wasn't a game changer. Then we were going to do an interview at a radio station. We're walking up the steps, and he looked at me. He said, "Well, I'm going to change what they say about you." I'm like, "What are you talking about, man?" And when we went in, the program director wouldn't give David the time of day. She spent almost an hour with me on the interview, like you and I did. She wouldn't even speak. She wouldn't even look at Dave. And I asked her, "What?" I said, "What happened?" She said, "Off, you know." She said, um, "David had been showing up at places that he wasn't invited to and taking pictures, like with Tom Joyner." And so now I hear David is going out in Oakwood, which is an old, old, old money, all the way back to the Pattersons and the Wright brothers and whatnot and ask them for donations for the museum so he can open it up. And again, I'm not running around trying to um, badmouth David, but when they did that symposium on the history of Dayton Funk at UD in September of 2018, I was not invited. And I made sure UD realized for the sec second time that was my history, and it was all copywritten. And I went to it and listened to Keith Tellerlie and Chet, who was the second generation of the Ohio players. And I went to high school together, and they were trying to say UD was convinced that Keith and Chet were the originals that brought the funk into Dayton. Keith Harrison, you're talking about. Yeah, Keith Harrison. I'm sorry, and, and Clarence Willis, we call him Chet. Um, and I didn't say anything. I sat there and listened. But Chet graduated from UD in 1972. So that meant he would have been a junior. Keith was in the Air Force. And the only song he ever had was Riding High. And he was 16 years old when the funk was brought into Dayton by me in 1971. And I was just a taken aback by two guys I had known for over 50 years wouldn't get up on stage and tell the truth, but it was because of David. David told him to say that. So what do you think the future holds for an institution like that? As long as he continues to operate like he operates, there will be no future. You know, as long as he operates like he operates, because David has a hidden agenda. He thinks he's going to own a record company. He thinks he's going to own a radio station, the museum. He thinks he's going to do all that. But David makes a big mistake. He wants everything for free. He wants everybody to work for him for free, but him. I own three Mercedes Benz. None of them are new, but they're nice cars. I gave one to my grandson, and I still have two. And I took one just to have them take a look at it because I just bought it. I pulled up in the garage of Mercedes-Benz dealership, and David was there in a Mercedes-Benz. Now, he didn't know it was me till he got out and he turned around and he looked, and he was kind of staggered. 
because David owes my company $72,000 and I put a collection agency on it and I'm getting ready to take him to court for plagiarism and copyright infringement, you know. And so the only problem is Dayton is such a backwards farm town, I have to go out of state to do the things I'm doing. That's why I said the attorney I have now is in Washington. And it's unfortunate. It shouldn't be like that because I will share that career, that history with people if they are correct. But for somebody wanting to take that history and make it theirs, I'm not. Now you got me for your enemy. And you don't want me for your enemy. Because I might. That's right. Well, I might be doing an interview with, with, with Dr. Scott, and that interview might be global, worldwide, and somebody might hear that. And he out there raising money, you know, and I might be doing another interview like I do all the time. And I'm going to say what I mean and mean what I say. You're and, talking, going, and that was Dr. Scott Brown you're talking about there. Right? Dr. Scott Brown and you, yeah. you know, and you. Scott Brown came in twice to do an interview at UD. And I called him and told him, I said, the only information that Dr. Brown can give you is from the interview that I gave him in 2005. So why would you bring him all the way in from UCLA and I'm 20 minutes away from him? And I know I have more information than he does and and paraphernalia. I got stuff dating. I got articles and everything dating back that I can show people. But they they had made up their mind. That's what they wanted until they got that bill from me. I heard he was writing, a, a, doing a book on Dayton Funk. Who is? I heard uh, Scott Brown was. It's already written there I think I got a paragraph in there I, I talked to Scott when he realized the mistake he made and I, and I told him I said Scott I don't want to go to war with you in UCLA over my history but I will if I have to and he said you know I just want you to know Doc that my book is non-profit I'm not taking any money out of it. He said, I'm a tenured professor at UCLA. And every time I talk about the history of the Dayton Funk, you're in the book. And I always tell them I got that interview from you. So that's all I ask. I gave you permission to do that. That's all I ask is to be fair. You know, let's do it right. If we do it right, you know, it's, it's real simple, Scott, that. If you send something out right, I, I use students of mine. Four years, didn't play rap music. I mean, I was cursing. They went to the board. They went to the president. They went to the governor. They, they went to the mamas and daddies. It didn't change nothing. When they graduated five, six years later and came back with their little four or five-year-olds and came in to see me, the first thing they said was, thank you, Dr. Logan, because we don't want our little ones hearing that type of music on the radio. You know, so if you send something out right, it has a strong possibility of coming back right. If you send it out wrong, there's no way, in my opinion, it can come back right. It's going to come back wrong. You know, my girl... When she graduated from Central, Omarosa went to 
the White House and worked as Al Gore's scheduling secretary. She used to call me when Clinton went on travel from the Oval Office, giggly and all silly and everything, called me from the Oval Office. And I would tell her, Omarosa, hang up the phone because you know they got, they listening. So hang it up. When she went to work for Clinton, I mean for Trump, I told her, I said, let me tell you something from experience. I said, when them Republicans get ready to throw you under the bus, you're going to get tire tracks. You're going to get run over. They're going to run over you. So don't expect to get nothing from them when they get ready. And they're going to throw you under the bus. So expect that coming. She just signed a seven-figure contract with Simon & Schuster. You know, so she got she got money. And she's an ordained minister. But you've put it out right, it comes back right. You know, and that's what I told David. If, if, if the things that you do, and if, if, if Jimmy Diamond and Dr. Logan, and, and, and now you are a suspect, if you offered your time and, and they say they got it out, there's a reason for that. Because they don't want you getting in their business. He asked me to sell a work, he asked me to sign a volunteer contract work for hire. I said, David, a volunteer, I said, think of what you just said. A volunteer contract work for hire. If I'm going to work for you and sign a contract, you're going to pay me. If I'm going to agree to volunteer for you, I'm not going to get paid because I agreed to do that. But I'm not signing a contract with you. I own a corporation, Logan Communication. It is a for-profit corporation, 1991. Why would I want to be a part of your organization? I'll do these shows for you, but I'm, I'm not committing to anything. For what? For free? Come on, David. And then you 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 driving around in Mercedes and run into me. You know, now if you can drive a Mercedes like I drive, you can afford to pay me the money that you owe me because he had been going around and even one of my attorneys slipped and told me, didn't even know who he was talking to. Yeah, I was on a, a, a symposium with David. We were talking two different things, but yeah, he was talking about his, his history on the Dayton Funk. I said, David doesn't have a history on the Dayton Funk. Is uh, he from there? Is he even from there? Huh? Is he from Dayton? Yeah, he's yeah, he's from Dayton. Yeah, he wants to give a history that his parents came in and they were migrants and some old craziness that he came up with that didn't make any sense. But um, uh, that's his story, though. And if you don't fact check, David, you. You believe it because if you check his bio, which I have on my desktop, it says he's a 40-year veteran. That means he started around the same time I did. I'm a 48-year veteran. David Webb was nowhere around. Okay. It says he's working on a degree at Ohio Wesleyan. I mean, Indiana Wesleyan. They have no record of it. It says he has an associate degree at Wright State. They have no record of me. 
you know, he has all these things in his bio that are not true. So, um, but nobody in Dayton fact checks David Webb. And that's all you do is just fact checking. I mean, you know, and, 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 and if he's true of what he's saying, then it'll come out true. But none of the stuff he's saying is true. Well, what you're telling me saddens me. Yeah, it saddens me. Go when you go on, when you have time and, and you look at the YouTube shows, look at On the One with Dr. G and Turk Logan, because I tell the story there. That was the first interview that we did. I tell the story there. On the One with Dr. G and Turk Logan. Dr. G is still with him. That's one of his boys. And um, I like G because, you know, he'll follow David to the end of the earth and David will push him off and turn around and walk back, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because I'm transparent and I try to stay that way. Um, are there any last thoughts? I mean, obviously, wish you really uh, well on this uh, pursuit with your story and um, that you get it resolved soon and, and to your liking. Well, you are a major asset and a blessing. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart to be able to tell the story. And to, I had a stroke in 2017. Fortunately, it didn't mess with my vocal cords or anything. But I find myself after running my mouth like I do for an hour or so, I tend to slow down a little bit and I start to slur a little, just a little bit as, as I wind down. But like you said, and like we both agree, time is important. It's important that we get it out there. It's important what we just did with you because it will be out there and it will be out there for anybody to, to watch and listen to for however long you decide for it to be there. And, uh, and I thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, hey, back at Truth and Rhythm Central, where it all happens here at the Nerve Center. You know, I figured I was going to get an intimate perspective on Dayton's rich musical history, but I did not anticipate that many incredible stories or realize the breadth of Logan's encounters with all those famous folks. That was an absolute treasure trove of memories. And while he did go into some rants, who can blame him considering the injustices he encountered. It's a powerful message to all of us to keep fighting and never let anything diminish the funk or its creators. I'm so grateful to Dr. John Turk Logan and thank him once again for opening his heart to truth and rhythm. I wish him resolution and peace of mind, and I hope to see his soul of data and script see daylight and be produced into a film or video at some point that would be just awesome also as always a sincere thank you out to you the viewers and again a reminder if you haven't already done so subscribe you can do so at the uh, funkin stuff channel on youtube and it's free and you'll get this show in advance you'll get um you know dedicated communications and you'll have a, a direct pipeline to all things funky with truth and rhythm and funkinstuff.net. And speaking of support, I mentioned at the outset, but if you could go to the funkinstuff.net website, 
There's a new feature there now that allows you to contribute to uh, keeping this show going and keeping this whole enterprise going. It does cost money. It's a labor of love and you know source of passion, but it costs money. Everything costs money. So anything you can give to help support this program is much, much appreciated. And um, you know, maybe um, depending on the donation, I'll give you a shout out on the show. Um, also write me, email me at scottg at funkinstiff.net. Let's just talk music. Let's talk funk. Let's talk R&B. Let's talk jazz. Let me know who else you want to see on the show, and I'll try to make it happen. You know, this is your show. It's an interactive situation. I keep hearing from a lot of folks, and it's fantastic. And we have a real community here now um, that's thousands deep. So let's keep it growing, and let's keep it live, all the way live, and always funky and fresh. With that, as always, this is Scott, Dr. G. X. Goldfine, saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.